I'm AJ Bianco from Podcast PD, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like this show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. And they said, you don't know what it's like to live in this neighborhood of Oakland. You don't know what it's like to hear gunshots at night. You don't know what it's like to see the police on your street all the time. You don't know what it's like to be robbed. And and I stopped and I was like, oh, my God, I do not know what that's like. No, I do not live in this part of Oakland. I don't know what it's like. And I said to them and I was like, it was just this moment when I remembered my sort of um, my, my humility and my the opportunity to learn from my students and to understand them differently. And I said, you guys, I don't know what it's like. Welcome to the Burned In Teacher Podcast. I'm Amber Harper, and the educators on this podcast are brave enough to share their stories of burnout with the world. On BIT, we get real, we get honest, and we take action. Action against the burnout with stories from burned out teachers, advice from experts, and actionable steps you can take today to beat the burnout and become a happier, more fulfilled human being. Let's get started. Hello, Burned In Teachers. Welcome to episode 30 of the Burned In Teacher podcast. This is one part burnout and all other parts action, inspiration, and support for teachers dealing with burnout. Last week, we got to hear an interview that I had with my good friend, Erin Garl, and she shared with us some strategies that she's using to take her from chaos to mindfulness. How's that going? Did you take anything that she said to heart? Are you putting any of those practices that she's brought into her life into yours? If you are, post some progress on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, anywhere that you're comfortable and anything that you're comfortable sharing because we've got to stop this shame. We have to address these signs and symptoms of burnout so that we can address them and take action and promote ways that we are solving this burnout in our own lives, especially when related to trauma. Don't forget to tag me at Burned In Teacher. Today, I'm so excited to share with you my interview with Alina Aguilar. Alina is the author of several best selling books about instructional coaching, team development, and emotional resilience in educators. She's worked in Oakland, California, public schools for 19 years, and then she went on to start her own business that serves schools and organizations committed to building an equitable and just world. She now presents workshops all over the world on coaching, resilience, and educational equity. Before we jump into this interview, I'm so excited to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Renew, Recharge, and Reignite Teacher Wellness Retreat that my good friend Kim Strobel and I are co-hosting together. This two-day retreat is your chance to step outside of the classroom and step back into your life. You'll learn tips, tricks, and techniques for injecting happiness back into your teaching practice and your personal life. You'll leave burnout behind and walk away renewed, recharged, and reignited with courage and confidence to face next year's challenges. You'll learn five happiness habits to increase personal and professional positivity, methods for fostering relationships with students and coworkers, how to accept your past journey and make plans for changing your future path, and ways to rebrand yourself as an educator and human being, and much, much more. 
It will be held June 10th and 11th in Nashville, Indiana, a beautiful and quaint town in central Indiana. And I have to tell you, seats are limited, so don't wait to register. Right now, Kim and I are offering a fast action bonus of $60 off of the standard ticket price if you register by April 15th, so don't wait. If you're listening to this episode after April 15th, don't worry, tickets are on sale all the way until the start of the actual retreat on June 10th, pending that there are still standard price tickets available. Check out bit.ly slash teacher retreat or burnedinteacher.com slash retreat to learn more and register. And don't forget to bring a teacher friend because that accountability is going to be critical as you leave this transformational event and move into your summer and eventually your brand new school year. Go to bit.ly slash teacher retreat or burnedinteacher.com slash retreat to learn more today. In this episode, Alina shares with us her own story of burnout as a teacher and then shares ways that she encourages others to foster resilience and fulfillment in their lives after experiencing trauma in their lives and or burnout in their career. Let's get started. Well, thank you so much, Alina, for joining us here on the Burned and Teacher podcast. I'm so honored to have you on here. Thank you so much for having me. So, Alina, will you tell us a little bit about your journey in education and how you got from, you know, where you started to what it is that you do now to serve educators? Well, I actually got into teaching um, through substitute teaching. Mm -hmm. That was what got me into the door of a classroom. And originally, it was going to be a temporary thing that I was going to do for six or nine months while I applied to graduate school. And I just loved it. I loved being in a school in that way. I love the students. I love thinking about teaching and learning. And so that propelled me into um, moving into a a program and becoming a full-time classroom teacher. And I taught in the Oakland public schools in California for 12 years. And I then became an instructional coach And that experience of coaching teachers got me really interested in thinking about coaching school leaders and creating the conditions in which change for teachers could happen. So then I became a leadership coach and then I led a team of coaches. Um, And then I had been coaching for a while and felt like I wanted to more deeply understand what coaching was all about. And so I designed what I thought of as my own PD project for the year, which was to write a book about coaching. And The Art of Coaching, which is my first book, was just that. Again, I just thought about it as like, I'm going to learn more about coaching and I'm going to do that by writing a book. Mm -hmm. Um, And that opened up this whole path that I've been on for the last five years of writing and consulting and presenting workshops and um, creating online courses and just digging much more deeply into how do we support educators to grow and refine their practice and serve students. And throughout my personal journey as an educator, as well as as a supporter of educators, the core theme, I would say, the questions that just kept coming up were around emotions and how do we manage the stress and the challenges and the exhaustion and the burnout and how do we cultivate resilience, which is my latest book, um, which is called Onward. 
and which is about cultivating emotional resilience in educators. And that is my current passion. It has been for a long time, but it was just sort of pulled together in that book. Um, and it, the book has an accompanying workbook where people can actually work through the daily exercises that'll help um, them cultivate resilience. So that's a really quick how I got to where I am right now. I love your story because your journey took you from that position of a teacher to actually coaching teachers and then seeing that there was a need to have a really uh, smart and hands-on approach to coaching where you can, you know, and being able to support coaches in that way to help them to serve the needs of teachers is really, really excellent. I heard your interview with Jennifer Gonzalez and your book Onward, I would love to hear more about both of them. So The Art of Coaching, I have a very good friend who is an instructional coach and she really struggles with uh, back with pushback from her educators. And is there a section of The Art of Coaching book that you can think of that would help to support her to serve her teachers in that area? I would say there's a lot of sections. Um, it's hard for me to think about which one to go to specifically, but I actually think that Onward might be more helpful because pushback is uh, someone expressing emotions. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Um, in fact, I just this morning wrote a blog called How to Coach a Cranky Teacher. And it is all about understanding how do you recognize and understand other people's emotions? How do you recognize and understand the emotions that those raise in you? And how to get really curious about what is going on for these teachers when they're experiencing pushback? How to stay compassionate and kind when you're faced with that kind of um you know, resistance or defensiveness or whatever it is. And again, simultaneously, how to stay really aware of what is coming up for you so that you don't get exhausted mm -hmm. and, um, you know, depleted and depressed and burned out. I love that. So on this topic of burnout, which is why I had you come on here today was to talk a little bit about your book Onward. Um, and I love that you brought that up, that it's also just like the art of coaching, that it's an excellent resource for, for teacher coaches as well. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way. So uh, have you, in your experience in education, have you ever gone through burnout yourself? I have. Um, there was a period of time I'd been teaching for, I think, eight or nine years, and I was um, in a position which wasn't really the best fit for me. I was also a relatively new mom. My son at that point was two years old, two and a half, three, and um, I wasn't feeling very effective in my teaching job. And I really didn't realize at the time that what I was feeling was burnout. I just knew that I wasn't experiencing a lot of joy teaching anymore. And I had previously, I had loved teaching. I used to, I mean, I really, really loved it. Um, I knew I wasn't experiencing joy. I knew I was sort of short tempered with my students. 
I was also now I realize in retrospect, I can see that it's even possible that I was clinically depressed. Like I would just come home and lie on my couch and kind of want to watch mindless TV or try to engage with my kid and playing Legos. And I just realized that um, I actually remember one day talking to a close friend who had had clinical depression. And I said, I think I'm really actually depressed. Like I'm just I cry easily. I was really, um, there have been a number of things that had happened in and around my school. Like there was a day I had taken my students out for some field work. We were doing a photography project and there um, had been uh, a man stabbed to death right outside the school. Basically like the ground was stained with his blood and he had been a day laborer uh, from Guatemala who had been robbed and stabbed. And there were just all of these things which were um, really hitting me hard. And and I've lived and worked in Oakland for 25 years. And the challenges of living in this wonderful city were nothing new to me, but it was hitting me differently. And it was actually around there. I, I realized that I didn't want to think of it as burnout. I was really afraid of burnout because to me, burnout was like, something really terrible that happened to teachers that you never wanted to, it was almost like cancer, you know, it was like mm-hmm. something we didn't want to talk about or think about that everybody was so afraid of. And, um, but at that point I did recognize at least that like, this doesn't feel right anymore. And that was when I started exploring other ways for me to stay engaged with teaching and learning and kids and my community. And I started exploring opportunities for working with, um, adults, teachers mm-hmm. and and prospective teachers. And that gave me a lot of energy. Um, but looking back, yeah, I realized like, wow, I really was, what really helped me many years later was learning that, that, um, burnout in a clinical context is depression. That's the definition of burnout. And I was like, Oh, so that sense I had, or that almost fear that actually I'm experiencing depression because it was almost like, I'd always thought that I would be a lifelong teacher. I really thought I was going to be a teacher for my whole life. I loved teaching for so many years. Um, And so it was like when I started feeling, having these feelings like burnout or depression, Mm -hmm. uh, I was worried that it would mean like, oh, this means I have to leave education. I'm not, I can't be a teacher, you know, and it wasn't what it meant. It just meant for my, in my case, it meant I did need a change of role and even school Um, I loved my school. I'd been there for six years. I'd helped found it. And it was also just time for a change for many reasons. And it was really a good change. Mm -hmm. And that's when I made the shift into going into coaching and I became a full-time instructional coach. Was it a struggle that you were having with frustration and overwhelm and stress? Or was it that you felt under challenged by what you were doing? I was challenged. So it wasn't, it it was definitely like still a good kind of challenge. It was, it was all of those things. It was, I was, um, my capacity was stretched really thin because I was a mom of a little tiny person and I wanted to be with him. And I was, I was working 80% time. I was also doing some coaching. I was doing some other pieces of work at school. Um, I was in a position that just wasn't good for me. I was seeing 
um, many groups of students every day. So I was in a, in sort of an elective class role. And for me, I thrived as a teacher when I had long periods of time with small groups of kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had for a number of years. And so it was all of a sudden to shift to this role where I was um, just not able to develop the kinds of relationships with kids in which I thrive. And, and this is different for different people. But as for me, particularly even as an introvert, having that structure where I am with a group of 25 kids for two hours and then another group of 25 kids, that was great for me um, and being with them for multiple years. So it was that, it was that I just didn't, I felt so stretched between my personal life and work that I could didn't feel like I could be a really deeply involved in my school the way I had been. Um, and then, you know, and then there were, I think I was definitely feeling lonely and isolated, which is one of the prime reasons why both people experience depression and burnout. Um, because I would like, you know, I'd rush, I would leave my kid with his caregiver, rush off to school, leave as soon as I was done teaching. So I never saw colleagues. I didn't go to, I I was, I didn't go to a lot of meetings because I wasn't full time Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be with my kid. And so it was like the whole combination of things and just feeling like, you know, as a teacher, I felt like I was doing a lot of sort of classroom management because I didn't have the amount of time. I was only with kids for um, 50 minutes twice a week, the mm-hmm. same group of kids. I just didn't have the time to develop the relationships. And so it was right. the whole combination of things. And fortunately, I was able to see, look, it's not teaching. It's not working in schools. It's all of these things and how they're coming together right now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I still, even at two and a half, my kid did not sleep well. And so I wasn't sleeping well. Right. So and add I, sleep de- yeah. deprivation to the mix. And that's yeah, just a I recipe. Yeah, I'm a sleep evangelist. I'm like, <laughs> sleep, 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 sleep. So even looking back at it now, I was like, yeah, just the fact that I wasn't sleeping made me depressed. Yeah. Yeah. So you started to tell a story about taking your kids outside for um, a field study for photography and that someone had just been tragically murdered outside of your school, which is something I can't imagine, first of all. Um, Was there something specific about that, your time with them outside that, um, that made you have a realization? Was it just the event of knowing that that had happened that made you think differently about your uh, current reality? Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the things that I have um, been and needed to be constantly sort of aware of in my own journey in life is how to balance despair with hope because I um, have seen a lot of despair and injustice and I am a particularly sensitive person Uh, One of my strengths is that I'm really empathetic, but it's also sort of when I'm too porous and I absorb too much of it, it gets really overwhelming. And that was a period of time when the group of students that I was working with, and for some reason that murder just really impacted me. I was working, I had this group of eighth grade boys. I was teaching um, same gender classes. And my group of eighth grade boys was had really struggled just there were just a number of them in that group that had had incredibly difficult lives and I knew the details 
And um, perhaps connected with that and other things, they were a handful. And um, in collaboration with them, we designed this photography project and I raised all this money for cameras and stuff where they would document their neighborhood. Because they said to me one day, they were being like so challenging. And I had this moment of frustration where I was like, you know, you guys, I don't know what to do with you. What's going on? And one of them said, Elena, you don't know what it's like to live in Oakland. And I said, I do. I live in Oakland. And they Mm -hmm. said, you don't know what it's like to live in this neighborhood of Oakland. You don't know what it's like to hear gunshots at night. You don't know what it's like to see the police on your street all the time. You don't know what it's like to be robbed. And, And I stopped and I was like, oh, my God, I do not know what that's like. No, I do not live in this part of Oakland. I don't know what it's like. And I said to them, and I was like, it was just this moment when I remembered my sort of um, my, my humility and my the opportunity to learn from my students and to understand them differently. And I said, you guys, I don't know what it's like. Do you want to tell me? Do you want to share what this reality is like for you? And they were like, yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear from us. And I said, tell me what it's like. How do you want to do that? So they wrote these poems that were really intense. And then that's where I was like, you know, they had all this energy and I had them from 8.30 until 9.25 in the morning. And I was like, you know what? How about if we get all these cameras and we will do field work three times a week and we'll walk around this community and you show me what you want me and other people who don't live in this community to see. So we walked, we'd walk around and we would walk into these neighborhoods and they would be like, you know, taking pictures of things that could have been dangerous for them. They're like, you know, taking pictures of prostitutes and drug dealers. I'm like, you guys back up. It's not where we should be. So we're, they're taking pictures. And then they also started taking pictures of things like the rose growing out of the fence behind the trash cans. And they were like, look, our neighborhood has struggles and it has beauty. See the beauty too. And I, you know, and I was like, uh, look, this is your, you show us what you want us to see. You show us, you can show us the pain and the trash and the dilapidation and the violence and the struggle and show us the beauty and tell us the stories. You be our teachers. Um, And that's what we did for six months. And, and so it was just this moment where like, but I was constantly kind of having to wrangle them into like you know, a a pit bull would come out and would start chasing us. And there's like 20 of us running down the street and I'm screaming at the kids like, you guys stop, you know, stay on the road, priest. And it was, it was crazy. And I can't believe, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, I can't believe my principal let us do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful nobody was hurt, but we learned so much. And you know, a lot of times when I've, um, so, but it was just a lot to take in And I didn't, I wasn't doing enough to kind of boost my hope and boost the way in which I understood this pain and suffering of children. Like these were kids. Yeah. So that for some, that incident of like going out and seeing um, that young man's blood, it stained the road and it was there on the side of the street for weeks, if not months. And it was just this constant reminder, you know, of what my students experienced regularly. Mm -hmm. And you felt that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
this I feel like this says a lot about a lot about you and your your theory on stories and on allowing teachers and students to tell their stories the way that they are seeing them from their perspective because for you to have that realization as you're you know defending yourself and saying no I do live in Oakland but to open your mind and your heart to them actually saying no, you don't. You don't live in the Oakland that I live in. And for you to say, well, then tell me. And then allow, I mean, my goodness, that is such an incredible eye-opening experience for for not just you, but for for me to hear that. So thank you so much for, for sharing that story. So yeah, you're welcome. I know I realize I don't know if I've ever shared it stays in my mind so strongly, but I don't know if I've actually ever shared it. So, but those my kids were my teachers. And I am, my commitment in my life is to help people who haven't had a voice have a voice. Mm -hmm. And whether that was my students or, um, you know, whomever it is, whose, whose voices and stories have been marginalized, that's my life's commitment. And I, I, for one, am so, so grateful that, that you have, that you're doing this currently for, for educators and for leaders. It's so, so sorely needed. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about, have you ever, have you had anybody in your teaching career who has really influenced you to take action and, or in that, in that season of burnout that you were experiencing in that eighth or ninth year of teaching, was there someone that was really influential in you taking action and and changing, um, changing your mindset and, and pulling you out of that depression that, that you were feeling? There wasn't one person. There were, I would say, a number of people who um, said little things or did little things. I had had a coach at the school that I was at. I'd, I'd worked with her years before, and she was just a reminder of um, – she'd always seen – my best and encouraged me to do anything. And, but she also sort of introduced to me the whole idea that there was such a thing as coaching and Mm -hmm. that one could be a coach. And for many years when I became a coach, she was my role model. And I don't, I would always think like, what would Liz do? What would Liz do right now? What would Liz say right now? And I'd always try to channel her. So I think she just kind of opened up this whole world of what I could do Um, my principal at that time was, I didn't really talk to her a lot about what was going on, but she was supportive and understood. And I always felt like she gave me the space to explore what I needed to explore and do what I needed to do. And that was really important. Um, I think about just the the role that my husband has always played in supporting me and encouraging me to pursue the things I'm really most interested in. And that was, um, he was, he was always doing that at every period where I've had a hard time, which has been many. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's been big ups and big downs and lots of little downs. And in every one of those moments, he's always helping me reframe things, you know, get connected with what I truly, really want. It's so hard sometimes to listen to and accept your own internal 
um, wisdom that says like, you need to leave or you got to make a change or, you know, you deserve to feel happier or more fulfilled and you can, and you've got the strength and the courage and the skills and the ability. It's like listening to that, your own voice is often the hardest thing. And so that's one of the things I've just, I've learned to do. Thank you so, so much for saying that because I have, if you've listened to some of my episodes, you know that that's what I tell teachers. So it's so, so nice to hear that encouragement from from someone else. Um, that And that, that can be the scariest voice that you hear because you you second guess yourself and, and you wonder is, if it's really the right thing or if you, again, just like you said earlier that, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm, I'm always going to be a teacher. Well, if that's always been your mindset, but then all of a sudden you're telling yourself you need a change, then you're having an argument with yourself, you know? So that, that's a really hard place to be. Um, I've been there and I feel like you and I have the commonality that We've had supportive husbands in our life who, um, who have supported us through that. Um, and I thank God for my husband. He, he dealt with a lot of emotions as I was fighting that voice in my head for several years. So, mm-hmm. so it's such, it, I just feel so lucky to have just like you, just those, those pillars of strength in my life when I really, really needed them the most. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about Onward and, um, you explained that it's, um, a book that you've written to support teachers and that there's a workbook um, that is associated with it. I have heard you talk about this on, on Jennifer's podcast, but I would love for you to explain a little bit about what that book is about because I really feel like some of my listeners here on the podcast could really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so resilience is the ability to thrive in response to struggle or challenge. It's how do you get up when you fall down? It's the spring in your step. It's how you bounce back after adversity. And so it's different than survival. And it's important to make that distinction. It's um, the idea that you actually can learn something and perhaps even get stronger through the struggles and the adversity. And any educator will need to cultivate that ability to teach any educator anywhere. And in fact, any human being anywhere, because life is hard and nobody gets through it without some pain and suffering. Um, And so Onward is structured around 12 habits that educators can practice to cultivate their resilience. I am in some ways a very practical person. I like to know like, okay, how do I do that? Tell me what to do today, tomorrow. You know, what are my options for things to do? I want a framework and I want a step-by-step plan. I really, that's what I I like. Um, Of course I want some wiggle room and I want to say, no, I don't want to do that, but I like uh, structure and plan and framework. So that's what Onward is, is a month by month for 12 months, Um, really curriculum for cultivating resilience. Each chapter builds on the last and it includes habits like um, know yourself. That's the very first one. Self-awareness is critical. Tell empowering stories. Be aware of the stories that you're telling and uh, what, what the impact is that those have on you. It includes um, a habit called play and create Um, another one called appreciate and celebrate one called take care of yourself. So the idea being, um, 
you know, there's all these things that you can do. And there's also correlating dispositions that we can also cultivate. Now, disposition is an attitude or way of being like we can be optimistic. Um, We can be accepting. We can be purposeful. And so the book um, really explores what that means. I tell a lot of personal stories. I have reflections on emotions. It is all about learning about emotions, talking about emotions, exploring them, understanding them, accepting them, and actually welcoming them and embracing them and learning how our emotions are reserves of energy and wisdom and how they can be our friend. And my injunction for teachers, for educators, for anybody, anywhere is, oh my God, when we start accepting and embracing our emotions, we're going to have a different world. Mm -hmm. When we can realize that we don't have to manage or control or suppress our emotions and we can explore the range of them and we can learn how to really how to dance with them and and be with them, we're going to have a different world. So that's what Onward's about. And the workbook um, is 365 activities, one for every day of the year to help you cultivate your resilience. It's like me as a coach in a book. Um, Because again, I would like to know like, okay, what should I do day to day to, to do this thing? Is it in journal form or is it like more formed as challenges? Uh, tell us a little bit about that because I'm intrigued. I want I want a part of this right now. <laughs> Get the workbook. Um, I'm so excited about the workbook. It is huge. I didn't, as I started, I wrote it and then I sent it off to the publisher and it came back and it's like so big and heavy. Um, but I love it. It is, there are prompts to respond to, but there's also... Uh, things to draw and there's activities and there's, um, you know, reflections that are really structured. There are sort of self-assessments. It's a really, I feel like it's a really fun workbook. People have shared all year since people started doing it. They've been sharing, um, they've been sharing photos on social media when they complete one of the drawn pages. And it's so fun to see those. There's things like, you know, time to practice smiling and the suggestion, it's not my own from someone else is like you put a pencil in between your teeth and it makes you actually have an authentic smile. And in the, in the workbook, there's a photo of me doing that. I'm modeling it. I'm looking totally. (laughs) That's fantastic. uh, Yeah. I feel like it's really, uh, my intention was for it to be to be fun and for the activities to feel different. So every day it's not like journal on this or journal on that. Okay. So it's something different day to day. Yeah. That's great. So that probably keeps the engagement higher. So is there a certain hashtag you said that you can, people share these on social media? Yeah. We're using onward the book. Great. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put that in the show notes for sure. So people can check it out and see, see what this is like. Great. Yeah, we also have a whole website, which is um, dedicated to all things resilience related, which is Onward the Book. Um, And that has all kinds of videos and resources people can download. And we post um, new content every day. Mm -hmm. So because it was just there's just so much um, that we can use for learning and inspiration to help us cultivate resilience. 
That's incredible. I am definitely going to check that out. So that will also be in the show notes for people to, to see what's, what's going on over there. In the theme of, of this month on the podcast of talking about trauma, whether it be a student trauma that you're having to help support as a teacher or suffering your own trauma, do you have any pieces of advice for a teacher who is really struggling with uh, burnout as a result of going through a traumatic situation or you know, serving so many of these students that come into our lives as educators who are going through trauma themselves? Sure. I think um, I would say the first thing that I think everybody needs to know and really is responsible for knowing is the um, indicators or symptoms actually of depression and anxiety. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to know whether that is in uh, for so that we can think about our own experience or think about that of colleagues or others. And so there is easily accessible information online as well as in my book and on my website about um, how to sort of assess when do you need to actually go to the doctor? Mm -hmm. Because I know I have worked with far too many teachers and school leaders who are actually really struggling with depression and it can be situational and it can be that they've never experienced depression before. And then either they experience trauma or a number of things can happen that actually, you know, it doesn't even have to be like a severe stress or trauma. Um, so I always encourage people to just know and to know the signs of depression and anxiety and to speak to experts. I think too many people wait too long. Um, and there is, you know, there's a lot of information and resources out there now for working um, trauma-informed practice. And so I also encourage people to Google that and look for those experts who can speak specifically to working with students and in communities where there's trauma. Um, more globally and generally, what I would be asking people about to start with is how much are you sleeping mm -hmm. and what are you eating and how often do you see the sun and how often do you walk for 15 or 20 minutes at least because our biology and our bodies have such tremendous impact on our moods and often I find that people who are really struggling are also not sleeping. Now, of course, some people can sleep too much and that's sometimes a sign of depression, but yes. if you're only sleeping four or five hours a night, your body is not producing enough serotonin and you got to get down to some of that baseline biochemical and hormonal uh, impact on you. And, you know, I think we, one of the taboos that we don't talk about enough in our world um, is also the impact of hormones on our mood and especially for women and whether that is women when we are in childbearing age or after, our hormones have a tremendous impact on our mood and we don't talk about it. Mm -mm. Um, and, and Or we do and it's in a condescending or sarcastic yeah. Or, you know, in a way that makes it funny or laughable when it's really, a, it's really serious. Yeah. And, and that's that whole, I mean, it's a discomfort with talking about emotions and it's a discomfort with talking about our bodies. And we've been in so many contexts in which our bodies and our, our, our female bodies have been um, shamed and tabooed and, 
you know, to so to actually, yeah, with in all seriousness, be able to say and recognize that our moods are impacted by our cycles and um, and our hormones and our adrenal glands and all of that is, I know for me, like in the last 10 years, that has been absolutely mind blowing to learn about as my body gets older and changes. And I'm like, oh my God, it's not that, you know, I am sleeping and eating and exercising and seeing the sun and so on and so on and so on. But you know what? My, the changes in my adrenal glands and my hormones as I get as I hit 50, which is coming up this year, are like, it's real. Mm -hmm. And um, that's been amazing to learn about, you know, but the other and then the the other piece I would ask people about and encourage them to consider is um, their community and their sense of isolation and who they're connecting with and who they're having honest conversations with. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think about community in terms of, you know, our family, our friends, our colleagues, and then even more broadly in terms of the experts to whom we turn, whether that's for support with our physical or our mental health or nutrition or physical fitness, um, who are also part of supporting us and reaching out and making connections and connecting with people and being with people is just absolutely critical when you're having a hard time. Yeah. hearing other people's stories, asking people, you know, what do you think I should do mm-hmm. um, is just critical. So there's two things that that kind of come, uh, I pulled out of that. So so there are things that really are out of our control. For example, we can't control when the sun is going to be shining and when it isn't, um, especially, you know, this time of year in northern Indiana is really, really dreary. And, you know, I, I have told people before, you know, I try to get outside at least a half an hour anyway, because any sun, <laughs> whether it's cloud covered or not, is better than none. Um, I bought a, a light therapy lamp hoping this year that it would help to divert the seasonal affective disorder, which I've talked about a little bit in my Facebook group, because I, I know that that is that has definitely contributed to some of my seasons of burnout is me not not really paying attention to how my mood was changing based on the season. I didn't know there was such a thing. Um, and, but we can, we can definitely control who it is that we are hanging out with the most and the tight and pay attention more, uh, rather to the, to the conversations that we're having and the way that we're talking about our situation. Um, something that I've said so many times is there is a difference between venting and asking for some solid support and some solid help. Um, and that is definitely something that, that we can have control over. So thank you so much for sharing those, those tips. So before we, uh, before we end this interview, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some different places where um, people can find you? Sure. So my uh, website is brightmorningteam.com. And that is my primary website, my business. And then we also have onwardthebook.com. I am on social media. The links are all on my website. Um, I do workshops all over the country. I do a number focused specifically on resilience. I've got one planned for July in the most beautiful place in the Santa Cruz mountains in the redwoods. That's going to be an intensive four days, really getting into resilience, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm really looking forward to. So those are the primary places. That's great. So maybe I should back up here and ask you a little bit about bright morning and what that is. What do you do um, in that space? 
Sure. So Bright Morning is the business that I founded and started when I came out of the school district. And I was in the school district for 19 years and had no idea what it meant to run a small business or have a small business. And so it was a, it's been a um, really fascinating learning journey, but I love learning and learning is one of the 12 habits of a resilient person. And so I'm living my, you know, living what I preach. Um, and so I have a fantastic team of people that I work with. I've got 12 people on my team now people who do workshops and present. We have online courses. We put on a big conference once a year. Um, and so we have all kinds of services to support leaders and educators. I'm in the middle of actually, well, not the middle yet, but I'm starting to write another book with one of my colleagues on my team. Um, we've just begun writing Equity by Design, which will be really focused about how to build equitable schools, which mm -hmm. feels like the next book that I need to put out because that is my life's commitment and mission is to um, building equitable schools and particularly uh, schools in um, areas where people have been marginalized. I am so, so excited to hear about that. That is definitely something that I have been learning a lot about here lately um, is, is equity in schools. And there's so much to be learned about that and how we can how we can change how we can change things in our schools um, as far as equity goes. Um, so thank you so much, Alina, for all of your um, advice and sharing your story and your journey. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Amber. Thank you. This was a great opportunity to think about some stories and reflect. And I always enjoy a good conversation. So thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for being here. I do have to say there is one more part to this interview. And because this, especially because this conversation, you know, really leaned toward a more serious, um, uh, a more serious topic. Um, it's called the burned in teacher lightning round, uh, where I ask you a couple of this or that questions. So okay. are you okay with me asking you? Yeah, sounds fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Puzzles or board games? Board games. Living room or bedroom? Bedroom. Sandals or sneakers? Sneakers. Apples or oranges? Oranges. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for helping us to learn more about you and what it is you do to serve these excellent professionals called educators. You are most welcome. I so enjoy and appreciate Alina's perspective and the different positions that she's held in public schools and now from where she is in her career now. So here are some tips and takeaways from Alina Aguilar's interview. Number one, pushback is someone expressing emotion. So if you're coaching or leading or feeling and feeling pushback, you need to get curious about what is truly going on with that teacher or the person that you're working with. The second thing is stay aware of what's coming up for you so you don't become depleted and burned out. Pay attention to how busy you are. Pay attention to what patterns are happening. The third thing is to ask yourself these questions. And we sort of visited this last episode. Are you crying easily? Are you able to experience joy? Are you short-tempered? Are you lying around and watching mindless TV? Alina recognized that these symptoms were burnout. And although she was at first scared to admit it, she knew that she had to create changes in her life. And she did. The next takeaway is burnout is clinical depression. 
It needs to be treated with the care and seriousness that it deserves. The next takeaway is knowing that making shifts in your career can have extremely positive effects on your happiness and outlook in life. Don't be afraid to make small or large changes in your life in order to create more joy in it. The seventh takeaway is find your supporters from multiple places in your life. Find people who can help you reframe things because it's hard to listen to your inner self when it tells you that you need a change or you deserve to be happier and more fulfilled. Listening to your own voice is the hardest thing, but you have to do it and finding that extra support can help you. Next, resilience is the ability to thrive through struggle and challenge. So it's different than survival. It's the ability to get stronger through that adversity. Any educator needs to cultivate that in order to teach. There will be pain and suffering in your life and in teaching. So the next step is to pay attention to your disposition. That's an attitude or way of being. You can be optimistic, purposeful, negative, anxious. I could go on and on with adjectives, and so could you. Basically, this is what I call teacher brand. And when you can embrace your emotions and we don't have to suppress them, we're going to have a different world in our lives, and we're going to project a different world out into the universe. The next thing is it is so important to be able to identify the signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety. Although these are situational, it's important to know the signs and it's important to talk to somebody if you are identifying yourself as having anxiety or depression. So ask yourself, how are you sleeping? How well are you eating? How often do you see the sun? And how often do you walk for at least 15 to 20 minutes? Another thing that you can address is your community. How are you connecting and having honest conversations with other people in your community? Do you have experts who you look to for support in your physical and or mental health? All of these things can make a huge difference in your disposition or teacher brand. Finally, it's really, really important for us to realize that there are things that we can't control like weather, climate, seasons, but we can control who we hang out with and who we surround ourselves with. Those things that we can control are the things that are going to keep us mindful of our disposition and our happiness and overall fulfillment in life. You, of course, can check out all of these show notes at burnedinteacher.com slash podcast slash episode 30, or you can just go to burnedinteacher.com slash podcast to check out any show notes and links from any of the episodes that have ever aired on the Burnt and Teacher podcast. That's it for this week. So until next week, I wish you a career and life full of happiness and fulfillment. You just took another step to become a burned in teacher. Burn on. That's it for this week's episode of the burned in teacher podcast. Until next week, take a deep breath. You are your own hero and you just took another step to becoming a burned in teacher. Burn on. If you want to be updated on the latest Burned In Teacher podcast episodes, don't forget to subscribe to the Burned In Teacher podcast on Google Play or iTunes. Also, please consider leaving a review and leave a rating so that other teachers who are feeling the burnout can find this podcast to help them feel supported as they continue their journey out of burnout. Thanks so much.